day one for those who've just arrived. Anybody counting yet? <laughs> of course, we have those who've been here for much longer. <clears throat> I'm still getting my voice working. I don't know why it's um, a little contracted tonight, but <clears throat> I think it'll warm up. So lots of uh, changing experiences today. Call it waves on the ocean, coming and going. And yet our practice from the beginning is a practice of letting go. Now it's said sometimes that if we didn't practice anything else but let go, let go, let go, that would be enough, right? So that's where we begin. And we all have had practice, so we know to a certain extent what that means. And it essentially means, you know, the letting go of that which just happened, that which we hold on to, the past, our future ideas, yeah, just let go. Begin again, come back, start again, let go. Right? Even to enter this kind of retreat, to even get here requires so much letting go. All the things that we had to put into place with people and responsibilities, our work, uh, relationships. Uh, we had to put so much in place and let go to come here. And really this is called a path of renunciation. Right? This is the, the lineage that we are part of, is this letting go, renouncing that which we sometimes hold on to particularly the people who have just arrived. I think the ones who have been here for a while have probably somewhat in the stream, <laughs> stream of letting go. But once we arrive, then we, we let go into this retreat container, that which we have created here. And to a certain extent, we uh, trust that our needs are going to be taken care of as part of the letting go, that we'll get nourished by the food that's offered to us. I was aware today that you all, you know, had to pack. I didn't have to pack because I just live over the hill, so I'm going home in the evenings, but most of you had to pack, so you have a certain amount of clothes for a month, and then those will have to be laundered, perhaps. <laughs> And there's a certain way that you trust that that will be, be handled. You know, that our, our sleep needs will be taken care of. There'll be ways that we'll be provided for. You know, these different ways that, that we begin to, to trust and let go into the conditions that are, are generated here. And then as we do that, we start to settle into a basic rhythm of the retreat. We kind of let go, we start to settle in, and there's a certain rhythm that begins to take over. 
And, and when we first arrive, particularly for those who have just come, it can, it can almost feel like these shifting tides, like we feel the waters of our daily life mixing with the waters of the retreat life right at the beginning, this kind of mixing of the tides. And I, I for a while, some years ago, I lived, uh, spent some time on, uh, in, a, in a cottage by a river in England called the River Dart. And it was so beautiful being by this river because the, the tide, the river tide would come in, but it would meet the outgoing tide. And every day, twice a day, you could watch how those two tides would meet and there would be a way that all the water would just kind of ripple together before the natural current just went into the direction that it was going in. And so I had this, I ha often have that, that feeling of that experience of when tides, two different tides from different directions come together and they're just mingling and mixing in the, the energies of those waters. And it can feel very much like that on uh, the beginning of a retreat, but also for those who have been here for a while with this new flux of energy coming in to a somewhat stabilized retreat field and then feeling the new energies, all the, the uh, people coming in and then that shifting tide again. And we can feel some of the disturbance from that. It can feel a little, just like when those waters come together, it's a little unsettling, a little disturbing before it takes its natural rhythm again. And yet this is what, what happens. This is the nature. This is the, the way nature is. is the, the coming in and the going out, just like our breath, which is so here, each moment, this breathing out, breathing in, and then that moment, Donald was mentioning it today, where there's this sort of the stillness for a moment before that next breath. And as we start to settle more into the rhythm, we begin to feel those shifting tides, those changes of those movements of different directions of our experience. And each time the cycle takes over, as it will with these shifting tides as we begin this retreat, both for those who have just come and those who have been here for a little while. The waters will start to slowly settle and we'll give ourselves over to the natural rhythm of the retreat. And this, this can take a few days. You know, this takes a little while where we feel is kind of the, that more of the, the ripples, the disturbance sometimes. And, and this is where we, get a, we have a very good opportunity to uh, practice patience, right? It's a wonderful virtue when, when things in our experience can feel a little bit more disturbing or unsettling. We, we practice patience, we practice compassion. Um, this kindness, being kind, the kind heart uh, towards our experience and other people's experience as it's occurring. And all this is more letting go, just this letting go into, into our body as our muscles start to relax more, you know, the breath starts to infuse more 
into our muscles and our cells and we start to feel a little bit more of that uh, untangling the mind. Our mind starts to disentangle from the uh, memories of our recent past and sometimes the, the thinking of the future moments. We start to untangle from that, letting go, arriving more, settling in to what's here. And for many, this is really what we're drawn to. We're, we're drawn to retreat for this disentangling, for this settling, for this uh, coming more into this natural rhythm of the way things are. That's a, it's a good feeling. Right? It's a good feeling when it starts to happen in our body, in our mind. We relax, we begin to settle, we let go. We, we know, we've all done longer retreats, we know that feeling of how that begins to happen within our minds and our bodies. We draw into that, we long for that. Right? We come to retreats so that we can begin to rest a bit more in ourselves, be with ourselves in that way. So as we're unwinding and releasing in these supportive conditions, the retreat becomes our refuge. We were talking, Dara was talking about this this morning, how we begin to enter into this refuge and the refuges. This refuge as a place of safety, a place of protection, protection from danger, shelter from danger, from distress. We know this, we feel this. And we let go, we let go in, we let go of what we take to be our usual refuges in our daily life. Whether it's relationship or work or our, our entertainment, our devices, the different ways that we um, retreat into. But now we come here and we begin to open more fully to what's called the triple gem, or these the three refuges of the of the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And these become a bit more tangible. They become a bit more accessible, maybe in the beginning, a bit more in an external way. Where, where it can seem almost like the refuges, these Buddha, Dharma, Sangha refuges are outside of ourselves or there's something external or something conceptual. Where the, the Buddha is a historical man who, who walked this earth 2,500 years ago, who is an archetype for uh, what's possible for us in, a, in, in terms of awakening, waking up of being free of our suffering. The Dharma, the Dharma which is, which means truth or law or uh, nature, the order, the order of things, harmony. The, the Dharma, the Buddha Dharma coming through as the teachings, the eightfold path that we, we walk, we follow 
and we hear the Dharma, we hear the Dharma teachings, we hear these very precious, beautiful teachings coming through as we practice here together. And the Sangha, this community of like-minded people who come together and also the noble ones who have brought the lineage forth over these uh, 25, 2600 years, who brought the practice, practices forth, but also the practices of non-harming, living with the precepts, those very important precepts that hold us, that, that support us, that protect us. So we have, they, they can sometimes feel a little bit more external or something that we follow, something that uh, guides us. But as we deepen into our retreat, these refuges start to become more internal. Because we have more of an, an internal experience of these living within us. And it's not just retreat, but for those of us who've been on this path for some time, many of us have been on this path for some time, and those refuges start to become more of something that's living, a living refuge that is here, a place of protection, of safety, refuge, an inner refuge. The Buddha, the archetype, which, which is an archetype for us, begins to allow us to recognize our own Buddha nature. And we have a sense, we have a feel for that, that nature that we are, that Buddha nature. And it gives us confidence in our own potential to wake up, our potential to be free of suffering. And we feel that. We start to experience that more directly. And as time goes on, we feel that as confidence. We know that to be true. And it does guide us and it does direct us. As Dara was saying this morning, it is a, an internal guide for us guiding us towards freedom. The Dharma, this, which is this nature or truth, we begin to feel our own inherent intelligent nature, that we are that. How the, the, Dharma, the Dharma is not out there, but the Dharma lives here as me, as, 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 what's occur, as what is occurring, not only here, but everywhere. And we can feel more and more that inner harmony, that natural harmony of all things, that everything has its place, that everything belongs. I belong, you belong, that everything is in its rightful place, in its own natural way. And as I feel more into the way the Dharma lives in me, I can sense how this begins to express itself in these beautiful qualities of being. We can feel that here, this, the qualities of, of kindness, of respect, of care, that naturally flow, that naturally become part of our, our way of being, because the Dharma 
is living. It's a living dharma. And that opens us up to the sangha, right? This, this community of living beings that we are part of. And the sangha is such an essential part of this retreat. I remember when I often thought that when I came on retreat that I was actually doing solo retreat. I mean, this was a long time that I, that I thought this. That, you know, I was entering into retreat and I was on my own and, you know, no, not, no real eye contact, right? Not really supposed to look at anybody and no social engagement. Okay, I'm really alone. <laughs> and, I, and I really f- thought that and felt that for a long time. And then as I, as I continued in the Dharma, walking this Dharma path, I realized that actually what's happening is I'm actually being more opened up to the communion of all things, this which the communion of Sangha, opening up that, broadening that uh, concept much, much wider, and that actually I'm not really alone at all. <laughs> Stephen Batchelor, one of our colleagues, wrote a book a long time ago called it Alone with Others. And I've always kind of liked that, kind of like that, that title there, you know, this kind of opening us up to the sense that, you know, we feel so alone sometimes, you know, we feel so isolated. And yet as the Dharma, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha starts to awaken in us, we actually come into a deeper communion with all things. Maybe at first calling it kind of a, you know, this wordless communion or a silent communion. And we can, and we can feel that here. It, it's, it's really one of the beautiful things that begins to happen. And, and I think we all really know this having done retreats, how as the mind begins to settle more, the body gets a little bit more quiet and we're moving more slowly and precisely through our day that there's this kind of beautiful rhythm, natural rhythm that happens between all of us as we, you know, a hundred people are going through four small doors over there, you know, and, and somehow we're able to do that in a way that isn't, we're not really colliding with each other too much, you know a beautiful kind of respectful way of going through the doors or standing in line down at the the dining room, having to open that door in the winter. In the summer, sometimes we keep it open a little more, but, you know, having to open the door and sometimes just how we hold the door open and know how long to hold the door open before somebody else then takes the door and then we walk through the line. And, and putting food on our plate and feeling the gratitude and the appreciation for those who cooked our food and prepared our food and, and the, the people who brought the food and in, in, in delivered the food, grew the food in, 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 the, gar- in the gardens, yeah, distributed, distributed the food, you know, and we, can, we start to feel that uh, the collective a contribution of eating our food and feeling the gratitude for that. We're not, we're not alone, feeling the sense of not being alone. 
and, and coming into a deeper intimacy. And it happens, you know, we, we see, you know, people starting to look more closely at the little creatures, you know, little creatures on the, on the path and, you know, connection with the grass and the trees and the, the nighttime with the clouds and the sky and the, the stars and the moon, the sun. And there's just a way we, we start to feel that as sangha, as com- our community coming into this silent communion with, with each other, with all living beings, living things that are here with us. And again, that evoking this sense of, of, of respect, of honoring, this, this kindness, this way of being kind. It's, and it's, it's we, what we practice, but it's, it's also natural. It becomes like more and more of a natural expression of how we are together. And we call this, we, we call this the awakening of the heart, right? Well, the heart, which is also the, in, a, in, the, in the Sanskrit, uh, it's called citta, the heart mind, when the mind drops into the heart and the heart starts to be more of what is uh, leading us rather than the ego mind, the restless ego mind that starts to settle and we feel more embodied, we feel more in our heart and those qualities of the heart start to express themselves more and more and more. This is the beautiful path that we're on, this, this Dharma path. And with the Sangha, too, we, we are inspired by each other. We, we get to inspire each other here on this path. I remember the, the first time, uh, my very, very first retreat, my first, uh, which was a weekend, um, Friday night to a Sunday afternoon. And I didn't know if I'd be able to make it. It just seemed, <laughs> it seemed so long. <laughs> And um, it was really, I was really just my very, very first retreat. I had only just um, done an introductory um, meditation class. So this was really a big dive in. And uh, my first time of really sitting for longer periods, 45 minutes in, in a sustained way, and also doing longer walking periods. And those long walking periods seemed really long, 45 minutes seemed really long. And there was one man, and this was, this was, um, this was back, back in the late 70s, the early 80s. There was one man who was um, very well practiced. Um, and when he, and it was a small retreat. There was only about, about 15 or 20 of us. And there, there was one man, and I didn't know this person, but he, when he did his walking meditation out on the patio, he really did his walking meditation. <laughs> And he became my model, kind of my, my guiding light for how to practice. And I just watched him. And I watched how he just moved slowly back and forth and back and forth with so much awareness, so much att- mindful attention. And it was such an eye-opener for me that somebody could do that. Remember, I, I think we all have these kind of memories when we, you know, we were first starting in our practice and just how awesome 
it was to see somebody who was so mindful in that way. And I, and I remember to this day, I mean, many, many, many years ago, and that man is still imprinted in my consciousness of him walking mindfully, just back and forth for half an hour. You know, it was half an hour, which gave me inspiration. It gave me a, uh, that, that hope, that, poten- that possibility that I could do that too. And I know that we do this for each other. I know that we inspire each other as we, as we take this commitment and, and, and take it very deeply into our hearts, how it's such a gift. It's such a gift, not only for ourselves, but, but for everyone that we come into contact with. And we know that that overflows after retreat when we go back and we have contact with other people outside of retreat, the the power of that, the impact of that, of that mindfulness, the capacity to be present with our experience. This great gift, as we take these uh, refuges more deeply into our heart and our mind and our practice. And as I said, sometimes it can feel like we are practicing with the refuges or the precepts, but actually they, they become part of the way, they transform our being, they transform our heart and mind, they, they transform the citta. And we become that, we wake up into our Buddha nature, which is expressed in the world. So this, this really being here together, this question of how are we being here together is, is such an important part of, this, of, of our whole lineage, of the monastic tradition in which we are following. How are we being here together? Just, oh, I really appreciated Heather's taking the time this morning to really help us uh, clarify the importance of, the, of where, how the precepts fit into our retreat here. Because again, the, that's the dharma that protects us, that guides us, that holds us here as we relax, as we let go, so that we can gain more and more confidence in, confidence in the way that we are living here together. So all of this supports us to let go. All of this is part of the letting go, which all nourishes what's beautiful in us, the qualities that are beautiful in us. They, they, you know, this is the Dharma. It's said that the Dharma is good in the beginning, the Dharma is good in the middle, and the Dharma is good in the end. This is what we call reliable. <laughs> this is reliable. If we want to know what we, where we can place our trust, <laughs> this is worthwhile. This is reliable. We can put our trust in the Dharma. This is really what allows us to begin to release our places of holding, the places of constriction, so that we can begin to feel that life-giving energy, that source energy that begins to flow as the constrictions release, those places of holding, those places of 
a blockage. Releasing, letting go, the life-giving energy starts to flow through. And as we apply our practice of orienting our attention more to the present moment, we anchor our attention into the body, into the breath, arriving here in this present moment more and more and more. This is what opens us to what I call a basic trust, a basic trust, where we can, we know that we can trust, that in a way that this trust says to us that I'm going to be okay. It's okay. Things are okay. And even if I don't know that absolutely, fundamentally, there's something in me that might be able to trust that it's true. No, just some faith. There's some faith that maybe I don't know it in every cell of my body that I'm going to be okay, but there's something that knows it. It's kind of an interesting thing, kind of the knowing and the not knowing. There's some kind of paradox in that. And maybe just checking in right now with your experience and just see, is there, is there a sense of knowing that things are going to be okay, that, that somehow you're okay? Just kind of sensing in, just see what you find as you do that. It's okay, what, whatever's true for you. Just sensing perhaps what is it that, if you feel this sense of okayness, what is it that allows that for you? And is it something related to the Dharma? The sense of connection, your connection to the Dharma, your connection to the Buddha your connection to the Sangha. Just feeling that for a moment. See what's true. In order to relax, we need to be able to trust because Without trust, without some form of trust or without some form of faith, it's hard to relax, right? Because we're not really quite sure that if, if I relax, there is going to be something there that's going to hold me that I can let go into. And I think that's why in these teachings, we we really start with this place of having faith in the Dharma, having trust in the Dharma, even if it's just trust in the teachings or the teachers or, or trust in someone who is modeling something that seems true to us and valuable to us. But it seems that in order to really begin to walk this path and then to deepen into this path, what deepens is that sense of trust. 
And that trust is what allows us to let go and begin to relax into what's really possible for us here on this path. And so, so we check in. We check in and see what is true for me in regards to this trust, this faith. What's alive in you? And yet I need to say that I trust that each one of you has that spark of trust or you wouldn't even be here. (laughs) You you couldn't be on this month-long retreat if that wasn't already alive in you. It's that spark of trust or that spark of faith that I think got you here and that you're really interested in deepening into. And that that trust right now, you know, I'm kind of putting that in in context of the Dharma. Trusting in the Dharma, which in some ways is the only thing that is truly reliable in this life. There's nothing else that's reliable because everything is changing all the time. Anything that I begin to try to hold on to or try to take as my refuge is going to fall apart. It's going to collapse. So I need to find something that is reliable. I need to find that which is going to truly support me, to hold me, to allow me to let go, to guide me to deeper and deeper places of freedom. When we talk about freedom, we're talking about letting go. Because what is it that we let go of ultimately? We let go of of that which causes us suffering. We let go of the conditions as we begin more and more to identify what those are. We let go of the conditions that cause us suffering. That's That's what insight is. It gives us insight into the causes and conditions of suffering so that we can come to a place of the release of that suffering. And as we do that, there can be a sense of a kind of a falling, kind of a falling into, a falling away, a falling or an opening, whatever metaphor works for you, kind of an opening into a falling, into an expansion in some way, and a resting into. We let go. And the conditions here on retreat completely support us for that letting go, for that release for that faith, for that trust into the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. 
before I was um, giving this talk tonight, I was, I was really feeling the preciousness of this opportunity that we all have here. And in, as I was sitting here uh, before the bell, before Donald rang the bell, I was, I was, even the thought arose, we're the lucky ones. You know, we said the lucky ones. <laughs> you know, just so the opportunity to be able to come to a place like this for, for a month, for two months, is just so rare and so precious to be able to explore, to investigate, to come into deeper and deeper uh, ways of understanding the nature of this existence that we find ourselves in. And to practice and let go. I was remembering too, uh, I had the opportunity to go to J- Japan, J- Japan for the first time last year, and I I went for a couple of weeks because one of my Dharma friends was uh, living in Kyoto for two years, a New Zealander, who took his family, his family, not that he took his family, his family went together to uh, uh, to teach at a, a school there for two years, an English-speaking school. So I went to visit, and, and this person, this man, uh, wanted to be in Japan because he had been, about 25 years before, he had been a, uh, a monk at one of the monasteries, the, uh, the monasteries nearby. And so he had spent two years as a young man in this monastery, and he wanted to uh, go back and be ne- live near the monastery. And so while I was there, we went uh, to his monastery. We, we, we were able to be there for a ceremony. His, the abbot of the monastery had recently died, and so we were able to be there for the ritual the, of, the, of the death of the, of the abbot. And Roger... Uh, this, this man was telling me many stories about his time there. And when he was there, um, all the teachings were in Japanese. He didn't understand, he couldn't understand what the abbot was teaching. And most everybody who was there was Japanese. And there was maybe one other uh, uh, Western uh, Polish monk who was there who didn't know very much Japanese. So he wasn't hearing much of the Dharma teachings. But he was there. He was, he was living there, and he was finding his way of being there and trying to, you know, trying to get some little bit of help. There was one woman who was a, a, a Western woman, actually American woman, who was translating some of the talks that uh, uh, Roshima would give so that a few of the people, English-speaking people, could hear the Dharma. I mean, when I think about that, I just, you know, just, just the, again, the preciousness of being able to hear the Dharma as we, as we do here and be able to hear the, trans, you know, the translations in a language that we can understand and start to really reflect and interpret and take the Dharma in, in our own way. 
that wasn't necessarily happening for Roger. <laughs> but other things were happening, being in the monastery and doing the work and then the sangha and being part of the rhythm and sitting and meditating and all of that. And so this woman, her name was Belinda. She translated the Dharma. And so he was so incredibly grateful to her to make these teachings available, to make Maroshima's teachings available so that he could take the Dharma in and listen to the Dharma and reflect on the Dharma in a way that he could understand. And so some, he left after a few years, but Belinda continued to translate the teachings of Roshima while he was alive. And then there was a, 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 she made them available. And so other people were hearing Roshima's teachings. And, 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 and Belinda had an unfortunate early death and her 60s, I think. And so while we were there, we went to a shrine that was made for Belinda in one of the other temples because she was so, she was so uh, sacred to the, to the community. And we went to her shrine and it was, it was this beautiful altar. She had died 10 years before. And every day a, a group of monks would go and make offerings at her shrine because, she, because of her service of making the Dharma available to people who wouldn't have been able to hear the Dharma otherwise. And I'm so, I'm so deeply touched by that story because I think sometimes we forget, you know, just how, how fortunate we really are to be, to have the conditions in such a way that the Dharma teachings are available to us in a way that we can actually hear them in a language that we can understand. After 2,500 years of beginning in an oral tradition, 300 years of these teachings being communicated orally, nothing was written down. That's how the teachings were practiced and memorized. And then eventually there was a council that started to write them down. And then they were passed on both through the oral and the written lineage. And here we are, here, here we're sitting together. And there's such a, a beautiful purity to the way that the teachings have been uh, transmitted over all this time. And here we are have this incredible opportunity now as we begin, and for those who've, who've been here for the month already, to really deepen into our own personal, intimate experience with the Buddha and the Dharma and the Sangha. These three precious jewels, they're called, the jewels. the jewels that we can feel and sense living in our heart, living in our mind, radiating 
this is, this is what the practice is to me. It's a living practice, a living teaching. And my sense is that there's a way that this might resonate for you as well. Or I'm not sure you'd be here. So I'm going to end with, um, with this poem from John O'Donohue. It gets read on retreats occasionally. Uh, it's called For a New Beginning. Uh, John O'Donohue is this wonderful, I think he's um, is he Irish. Well, yeah, wonderful Irish teacher, um, poet, writer. He says, in out-of-the-way places of the heart, where your thoughts never think to wander, this beginning has been quietly forming, waiting until you were ready to emerge. For a long time, it has watched your desire, feeling the emptiness grow inside you, noticing how you willed yourself on, still unable to leave what you had outgrown. It watched you play with the seduction of safety and the gray promises that sameness whispered. Heard the waves of turmoil rise and relent, wondered would you always live like this. Then the delight when your courage kindled and out you stepped onto new ground. Your eyes young again with energy and dream, a path of plenitude opening before you. Though your destination is not clear, you can trust the promise of this opening. Unfurl yourself into the grace of beginning that that is at one with your life's desire. Awaken your spirit to adventure. Hold nothing back. Learn to find ease in risk. Soon you will be home in a new rhythm for your soul senses the world that awaits you. Let's just sit quietly for a moment. You can just stay the way you are. Thank you for your kind attention this evening. It's 25 after 8, and um, we have some time for walking meditation in the cool night hours. It's dry at the moment, I think. And then we'll come back for our uh, last scheduled sitting at 9 o'clock. 
Thank you. And we'll, we're, we'll have some chanting as well. And I, I think I was supposed to also remind you to consider bringing your cell phones to the morning meditation tomorrow <laughs> for our ritual so that you, if you'd like to renounce <laughs> more letting go, <laughs> your cell phones tomorrow, you'll have that opportunity. Thank you.